Well, again, good evening. We are continuing our series on First Timothy, the Church of the Gospel. The passage for tonight is in chapter 5, verse, verses 17 onwards until chapter 6, verse 2. And I'm going to read the scripture for us now. I invite you to stand up for the reading of God's word as you're willing and able. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muscle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those who are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who rule, sorry, let all who are under a yoke of as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, rather. They must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, thank you once again for the opportunity of of gathering in your presence, in the presence of your powerful word of the gospel. And we hope and pray that this word will continue transforming us that we will be the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the biggest obstacles for people to come to church or accept the church's message and teaching is the lack of integrity in their leaders. Many reject the gospel because pastors have failed to live according to the gospel standards. Plus, in today's culture, any authority figure will be seen with skepticism. Many others have left, have left the church and rejected the truth because of abusive, unrepented, proud, many times young pastors. Maybe some of you have had bad experiences, and you also may be hesitant 
to commit to the church, commit to the gospel. Thinking that maybe pastors everywhere are above accountability. And not just in the church, Christians in the workplace have not shown the excellencies of the gospel. Instead, they have been unsubmissive, even lazy. The cultural trend to reject any kind of authority has crept into the church and then out into the workplace. At the end of the day, Christians in the workplace behave just as those who do not believe in God. The result is an unappealing church. Christianity is no different than other religions or philosophies. Our passage this evening speaks to both these realities. Leadership in the church and Christians in the workplace. And I hope and pray that Paul's instructions to Timothy will continue nurturing a church of the gospel. As God Desire us to be. Paul, Paul clearly states the reason for writing this letter. We've heard this a few times throughout this series, but just as a way of reminder, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, I am writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. In a sense, Paul's primary concern or goal is the church's conduct, that we may live in a way that upholds the truth of the gospel. Yes, this is a personal, so-called pastoral letter wrote by Paul to Timothy, but Paul has everyone in mind. The life and doctrine of every church member. Note again, though, how he refers to the church. The church of the living God, a pillar and buttress. I had to look that word up. A foundation, a, strong, a stronghold of the truth. The strength of the gospel, so to speak, depends on the strength of the church. And the strength of the church depends in part, on the strength of its leaders. Put another way, strong, healthy leaders lead strong, healthy churches. A strong church is a better pillar and buttress of the gospel. And as we get to chapter 5, Paul gives instructions on how one ought to behave with others in the church family. Last Sunday, Matt pointed out that the church is a family and that we should care for one another, especially our widows. Paul calls us to honor our widows in verse 3, and then in verse 8 he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he calls us to honor and provide. In our passage this evening, the call to honor continues. We learn first how one ought to behave 
if we are to have strong, healthy pastors. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. And second, how one ought to behave in the workplace. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So two main points. Strong gospel churches honor their leaders in the church. And two, strong gospel churches honor their leaders in the workplace. We'll spend the bulk of our time in the first section, given that that's a larger number of verses. So don't worry if you see time passing and we're not getting to point two yet. Strong gospel churches honor their, leader, their leaders in the church. Again, the church is as healthy as its leaders. Strong, healthy pastors lead and teach strong, healthy churches. The question is, how do we nurture? How do we honor strong, healthy pastors? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul gives us three priorities or principles for strong leadership in strong churches. We nurture and honor strong pastors through double honor, unprejudiced discipline, and careful appointment. Double honor, unprejudiced discipline, and careful appointment. Note verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. By elders, Paul is not referring to those necessarily of advanced age, but those appointed to pastor or oversee the life and teaching of the church. I believe Paul addresses vocational elders or pastors. That much is clear in verse 17. Again, let elders who rule or lead, who labor in teaching and preaching. Paul gives detailed pictures about who, who are the pastors or overseers and what their qualifications or requirements are in chapter 3. Also, we read in parallel passages in, in Titus or even in 1 Peter that they use the terms elder, overseer, or bishop, uh, and pastor interchangeably. There are only two clearly defined offices in the New Testament, the one of elders slash pastors slash overseers and the other of deacons. And there seems, though, to be elders, pastors who lead well, and among them, those who take their responsibility to preach and teach. Paul says, let the elders rule well, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, teaching be considered um, worthy of double honor. And this is not to disregard Paul's clear instruction that every pastor should be able to teach. Chapter 3, verse 2. Whatever the case, Timothy and the church should consider them worthy of double honor. Now, what does Paul mean by double honor? He just taught in the previous passage uh, how widows should be honored and provided for. 
Likewise, elders are worthy of double honor, meaning, they sh- meaning that we should respect our pastors, teachers, as well as provide financially for them. It does not mean, I believe, that pastors should receive double payment, as some pastors in some other churches, of course, may conveniently teach. But Paul gives scriptural explanations for this principle. Did you see that? Verse 18. Why should we honor and provide for our elders? For or because scripture says, you shall not muscle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul first quotes Deuteronomy 25.4 and applies the wisdom of the Old Testament to the issue of the remuneration of pastors. Not that pastors are oxen, of course. Paul quotes and elaborates this same Old Testament verse in 1 Corinthians. He gives us more detail. For it is written, Paul writes, in the, in, the, in the law of Moses, you shall not muscle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen then that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown, says Paul, if we, if, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? The principle is, is clear enough. We must let pastors share in the material blessings of the church. As the church provides for the work of the gospel, Pastors and teachers are able to spend time in word and prayer. As we contribute to the mission of the church, strong, qualified, gospel men contribute to our spiritual growth, and the church becomes a stronger pillar and buttress of the truth. What's interesting here is that Paul not only quotes the, quotes the Old Testament, but he also quotes Jesus. Do you see that? In the second part of verse 18, he says, the laborer deserves his wages. The exact same phrase appears in the lips of Jesus in Luke 10, verse 7. Paul may have access, may have had access to Luke's gospel, or at least to some of the same sources or collection of Jesus' sayings Luke used to write his own gospel. We don't really know, but both Deuteronomy and Jesus' words are the authoritative reasons for us to consider our, pa- our, our, our pastors worthy of double honor. God calls us through Moses, Jesus, and now Paul to honor and provide for our pastors. Pastors are part of our church family. So we can even extend the principle of of chapter 5, verse 8 here. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We honor our pastors 
by considering them worthy of double honor. The second way by which we honor our pastors is by unprejudiced discipline. Unprejudiced discipline. Look at verses 19 and 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence or, the, or on the basis of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Note that Paul doesn't say, do not admit a charge against an elder, period. Paul is not advocating for an office that is not accountable to the church, nor to the civil law. Paul wants those in a position of leadership to receive the same fair treatment that, that anyone would like for themselves. Indeed, Paul is again alluding to Deuteronomy. Moses says that, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And again, this is an instruction for everyone in the community, not just leaders. And the reason Moses gives for this is that a malicious witness may arise to accuse a person of wrongdoing. This is honorable not just for those in leadership that may be accused, but also for those bringing the charge. The honor of the accuser is on the line as well. And Jesus applies this same principle to the church. Remember Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens... You have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him, to, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Paul then envisions that there is a real possibility that the pastor in question is sinning. And after charges have been made on the basis of two or three witnesses, he persists in sin, then Timothy is to rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. You see that? Verse 20. So in a sense, Paul is applying Jesus' principle to sinning elders. Everyone must be held accountable. And gossip is not an option. Many of today's abuses in the church and in Christian organizations manifest similar problems. Leaders were not accountable but protected. We don't need to mention any. Some of you may have cases in the back of your mind. On the other hand, the value of, the, of a plurality of pastors, elders, not just working, but worshiping together, is priceless. 
pastors grow up to be friends, brothers, really, and they invite each other to their lives. Pastors make themselves vulnerable and let everyone see that they are indeed above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, etc. And also note that the purpose of this public rebuke at the end of verse 20 is, is so that the rest may stand in fear. As one pastor is publicly rebuked, the rest, maybe the other pastor teachers, maybe the rest of the church, they will stand in fear. There's a sense of fear that brings about holiness within the church. That was the purpose of Moses' instruction too. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid. And never again will such an evil thing be done among you. The discipline or rebuke here is corrective. Again, the holiness of the church is endangered. The strength of the church depends on the strength of its leaders. And it's a most solemn instruction. Look at verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. This is where I get the idea of unprejudiced discipline. We honor our leaders in unprejudiced discipline. And it goes both ways. It, it's impartial. We should not prejudge the pastor being accused, nor those bringing the accusation. We believe in a Savior who died because of false witnesses. We put our trust in an innocent Lord put to death despite the lack of evidence against him. His sentence achieved our forgiveness, pastors and members alike. So let's hold on to this gospel, this good news, by honoring our leaders with, uh, with unprejudiced discipline, convinced that those of us who believe in Jesus receive grace and mercy so that we too may treat others justly. The third principle or way by which we honor our elders, pastors, is through careful appointment. Some say that the phrase laying of hands here is a reference to the readmittance or restoration of repentant sinners in general. But Paul uses the phrase laying on of hands elsewhere in the pastoral epistles in the sense of pastoral appointment. 1 Timothy 4.14 do not, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you. See that verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying of in the laying on of hands, nor part nor take part in the sins 
of others. Keep yourself pure. There's a strange little comment about, about wine here, right after the call to remain pure. Most probably false teachers in Ephesus were promoting a sort of ascetism that required abstinence. Paul wanted to clarify that purity includes taking care of one's health. Hence, hence he instructs Timothy to drink a little wine instead of water. To be clear, no pastor should be a drunkard. We already noted that in chapter 3. And elsewhere, Paul states that drunkenness is a work of our sinful nature. That instead, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. But for his stomach's sake, Timothy should drink a little wine. And I would add, especially if it's Chilean wine. In any case, the main reason for a patient, careful appointment of elders is that it takes time for hidden character virtues and flaws to appear. Verses 24 and 25. The sins of some people are conspicuous. I had to look that one up too. Are obvious going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous or obvious, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Again, it takes time to assess someone's character, to see how he relates to others, to women, parenting, Etc. I'm afraid too many pastors and leaders have been appointed because of their gifting, because of their organizational leadership, their eloquence, etc., but in due time have proven to be lazy, abusive, or even adulterous. Character precedes gifting. I remember once in Chile, a young man who had been visiting our church for a few weeks approached me and said, I, I want to be a pastor. What do, I what do I need to do to be ordained? I said, well, that's wonderful, brother. Tell you what, keep coming, be willing to serve, participate in our Bible studies, share the gospel, become a member, etc. In due time, Maybe you'll be able to lead a small group, learn how to handle God's word, commit to disciple new believers. Then, once the church recognizes your character and God's calling for your life, we might send you to seminary, train you, equip you in biblical theology, expositional preaching, etc. This young man never showed up again. About a year later, I heard he had been ordained in a liberal denomination. To my, to my knowledge, he has not fallen or manifested any hidden sin, except for the fact that he abandoned the gospel to pursue an ambition. Let's honor our leaders who patiently serve 
and spend time in prayer for years before being appointed as pastors. This is one of the reasons internships and residencies are so valuable in our church. Candidates are able to grow in gospel character and convictions as they also grow in the word of God and prayer. My, my wife, Bernie, and I always give an advice to young women thinking about marriage. Go and see him play soccer. See how he reacts when he loses, when someone kicks him on, the, on his ankles. Go and see him in his house. How does he relate with his mother, with his siblings? How does he treat his parents? The same is true of those who aspire to be an overseer. It takes time to see their character. And we honor our leaders in church by patiently and carefully appointing them. A strong gospel church honors their pastors by providing for them, rebuking them publicly when needed, and patiently appointing them. This, no doubt, produces strong leaders for a strong gospel church. So first, strong gospel churches honor their leaders in the church. And second, and shorter but not less important point, is that strong gospel churches honor their leaders in the workplace. Strong gospel churches honor their leaders in the workplace. Paul uses the language of slavery or bond servants. Verse 1, let all who are on, under a yoke as bondservants or slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Slavery was, was big in the Roman Empire. And in Ephesus in particular, some estimate that about one third of the population were slaves. However, this is not the slavery we condemn in the modern world. Paul is not advocating for the race-based, lifelong slavery that this country and many others witnessed, especially in the 19th century. Paul's silence, an author says, Paul's silence is not a tacit approval of slavery. Sure, there must have been many abuses in that context, too. In other passages, Paul commands slave masters to treat their slaves with respect. However, in first century Roman Empire, slaves were freed at an early age and many times enjoyed high social status as businessmen. But Paul's concern here is not so much the wellness of the slaves as it is the wellness of the gospel. Note the rest of verse 1. Bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Put differently, honor your masters because the honor of God and the gospel is at stake. Even more so if masters are fellow believers. The fact that bond servants and masters shared a common faith was no reason for the former to disrespect the latter. 
Again, our Savior is a servant, obedient to the point of death and death on a cross, as we honor our masters in the workplace. We, 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 we manifest the gospel and true Christian service. As one, as another author puts it, true servitude is Christ-centered, leads us to Christ, and makes us like Christ. So as I was growing up, I remember, I remember hearing that Hiring Christian workers was better because their work ethics was better. And as an unbeliever at that time, that made me wonder. That, that made me wonder why. It made me curious about the gospel. Later, as a believer, one objection against the gospel I heard was that Christians were as lazy and unkind as the next person. Brothers and sisters, again, the name of God and the gospel is at stake. Let's honor our masters at the workplace, in the workplace. Let's be the church of the living God, pillar and foundation of the truth. Strong gospel churches honor their leaders in the church and in the workplace. The beauty of the gospel depends on the beauty of the church. And the beauty of the church needs strong, healthy pastors as well as strong, healthy Christians committed to the beauty of the gospel in their workplace. These were Luther's emphasis on the priesthood of all believers. It's important. All of us, in whatever vocation we are in, whether in the church, ministry, or in business, education, healthcare, government, etc., we all together are pillars of the truth. If we value the name of God and the teaching, we will honor our leaders. We will honor and provide for our pastors, rebuke them justly, appoint them carefully. We will also honor our masters in the workplace, especially if they are fellow believers. Imagine how the culture's perception of authority and leadership in the church would change if our leaders were held accountable and carefully trained and established. How the unbeliever's perception and reception of the gospel would change if we lived and worked as distinctly, distinctively Christian, different from all other religions and philosophies. If you've had, had a bad experience with church leadership and that is an obstacle for you to come to Jesus, I hope you see how we ultimately follow him. We honor him. We follow the lead of the innocent one who honored his father 
and went to the cross willingly to grant us forgiveness and salvation. In the same way, pastors, teachers, we hope to honor you, praying for you, respecting you, taking care of you and your families. And as a church, let us show the gospel as we relate to others, whether in the church or outside the church, that all may see we are the church of the living God, a strong gospel church that honors its leaders in the church and in the workplace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit and the gospel, this word will be stamped in our hearts and minds as we relate to our pastors and leaders in the church and outside the church. That you will be honored as we honor our leaders, and that the gospel would be showcased to everyone, for, for everyone to see the beauty of the gospel, how our own Savior honored you and died for us, that we may keep the gospel strong in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me dismiss you with the words of Paul in chapter 1, verses 15 onwards, as a way of blessing. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom we are the foremost. But we received mercy for this reason, that in us, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. God bless.